time. And our key passage is Ephesians chapter 5. We've got it up here on the screen, Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. This is the instruction that we begin with here, friends. And the instruction is this, look carefully then how you walk. Perhaps an instruction to stop and think about how you've been living, what you've been investing your life in. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Be the one that is wise, that takes knowledge and applies it properly. And then verse 16 tells us, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Some big, big stuff out there, some great opportunities. We did a little study on the word time. Kainos, which we understand means opportunities, making the best use of the opportunities, careful about our choices, investing in the best, not just the good, but the best, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Having talked about the significance of opportunities and the accountability of the opportunities late in our life, we will give an account for the choices we make, my friends. We will make, give it an account. Last week, we talked about how to decide what are the best opportunities out there. And we talked about the core values of life, what really matters, not what is most urgent, but what matters most. And today we're going to talk about the things that will derail. You can do all of this work, say, yes, from now on, I'm laying it out. I'm living the way I ought to live. I'm going to invest the precious time I have in the things that matter most. And maybe even took the time to say, hey, what would I cross that I-beam? You know, what would I risk my life for? What is really worthy of my life? But today we're going to talk about some dangers here, friends, because even the most sincere person out there faces some real obstacles. And uh, we don't have a lot of time here this morning, and so we're going to have to move a bit quickly. But we're going to look at a few dangers to those who are living their life for Christ, putting the best things first. And here we are in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to meet a man who has a lesson to tell us. But the context is here in Israel, there is a famine going on. And those of you who are good Bible students, you recognize that right away. You say, if there's a famine in Israel, there must be sin in Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 11 says one of the ways that God will get a hold of Israel's attention as they begin to fade away from him is to withhold rain. And rain is life, my friends. There's no crops, and if there's no crops, there's no food. And that's the way it works, friends. Perhaps you've heard this before. For want of a nail, we lost a shoe. For loss of a shoe, we lost a horse. For want of the horse, we lost a rider. For loss of the rider, we lost the message. And for loss of the message, we lost the battle. And for the loss of the battle, we lost the kingdom. 
It all matters, friends. There is a great danger. Something as small as a nail could change it all. Choose carefully the decisions you make, my friends. Flying off the handle doesn't any do anybody any good. Choose carefully and wisely what it is you will do. And so here there is famine in the land. And not only is there famine in the land, there's a bad king. Look at here in chapter 17 and verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh no, it's not enough that he did evil. More than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Jeroboam was the one that, uh, that set up a golden calf in the northern part of the northern uh, kingdom of Israel in the southern. And, set it, and again, commanded everyone to worship God there. A great sin in God's eyes. But it was nothing compared to this king Ahab and his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. And they went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he even erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, capital city of the northern part of Israel. And Ahab made an Asherah, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger and all the kings of Israel who were before him. Friends, if you're going to set a record, this isn't the way to do it. This man is a horrible, horrible, horrible man. And he is leading the people of God away, my friends. And not only that, not only setting up all of these bales, forsaking the God who made this nation, who brought them into this land and had preserved them oh so long. He hated the prophets of God. Look at here in verse 17. In chapter 18 and verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Elijah being the prophet of God, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? How ironic that this king would call a prophet of God a troubler. But notice Elijah's response here says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to meet at Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Invited into the innermost part of this kingdom. They have the inside, they have the ear of the king and of the queen. And there they are. And so Elijah says, you bring them all together and meet me at Mount Carmel. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered all the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And so we have this bad king. We've got a bad nation on top of it. Look at verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? These are fence riders, friends. They kind of like what's on the left, but they sort of like what's on the right as well. God calls them to make a decision, and here Elijah calls them to do the same. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not even answer him a word. They just didn't know how they could pull themselves away of what was so popular. 
I mean, the king liked, the queen, she sure liked it, and it's a dangerous thing to go against those people. Do I really want to stick out my neck? And so they did not even answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. This guy Elijah felt like he's still alone here, and perhaps he literally just did. I mean, who else is making a stand for the Lord to say, I don't care what the cost. Here I am, like Luther, I can do no other. I cannot be moved. Well, this bad king and this bad nation led to a big contest. In verse 23, we've got two sacrifices. Here's the idea. Why don't we find out who's God? Why don't we lay it out and make it plain and make it clear? That's the intent. Verse 23, let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood but put no fire to it and I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it and you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of, my, of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it's well spoken. Well, let's see. I mean, who's the real God around here? Created by men, worshiping demons, or Yahweh, the God of Israel? And just as in the same way that Elijah was kind enough to say, go ahead and choose your bowl first. You go ahead and set it up first. Always the gentleman here is Elijah. Go ahead and you, and I'll take whatever's left. And not only that, let's let the prophets of Baal go first, verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Hmm, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And Elijah here now begins to ridicule them. At noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself. Metaphor for being in the bathroom. Or maybe he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid any attention. There was no God. They were worshiping demons, and I'll tell you, the demons weren't going to help them. But now it's the Lord's turn. That which they had placed their faith in had come up empty. It was nothing. It was Zippo. Zero. All of their prayers were for naught. But now it's Elijah's turn. So verse 30 tells us, Elijah said to the people, come near to me. Now he's got all kinds of confidence here. And he knows that the people of Israel who have placed their faith in these Baals, who have followed their king into sin, 
they're devastated right now. They're probably wondering, what did we do? We, we tried the best. We cut ourselves. We did everything in the manual, but nothing happened. And Elijah's got pretty confidence right now because Elijah has already seen the power of God. I mean, God has used Elijah to raise people from the dead. I mean, he has caused a, a poor widow who, who had just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour to just go on and on and on. He has seen the power of God in all of these things. All these other people have heard is just what's popular. And so all the people, he says, uh, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. I wonder who threw it down. He's seen people that worshiped a God that is not. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And verse 31 says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh. And he made a trench around this altar. Now remember, this is in the midst of famine. He made a trench all the way around the altar, as great as would contain two sails of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering. You know, just in case you think it might be the sun that starts this fire. So go ahead and dump some water on it. They must have been thinking, we, I don't know if we can come up with that much water. But they did. And then he said, do it a second time, verse 34. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. I mean, you can just see Elijah's confidence way up here. Go ahead. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do to this sacrifice. I know my God. I know what he is able to do. And I'm willing to stand up against all of you people. That's some big confidence, my friends. Here's a guy that knows what's true and he's acting on it, eh? So they did it a third time, verse 35, and the water ran down around the altar and filled that trench with water. And then Elijah prayed, verse 36. And at the time of the offering, the oblation, an offering that was made at this evening time, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Oh, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And the Lord answered just as you knew he would. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and even the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was even in the trench. And when the people saw it, Scripture says they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And the prophets of Baal. Well, their future isn't going to be long. And Elijah said to them, seize these prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them. What a great victory here. Are we talking about an enormous victory here? I mean, are we talking about the greatest illustration of who God is and who can be trusted, who hears prayers? 
I mean, this is Elijah way up here. This dude is on his tippy, tippy, tippy toes full of confidence. And I want you to notice it just even gets better here in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. Don't tell me there's rain. Is there really rain? Is rain coming? Because there hadn't been people able to eat. Nothing's growing. It's just a dust bowl here. Go up and drink, for there's the sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked, and he said, There's nothing. And he said, well, go again, and seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, to, go up say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew back, and the clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of Yahweh was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Great victory. So what do you do after a great victory, my friends? I mean, this guy has been on point. He has nailed it every single time. He believed God. He honored God. He acted in such a way. And then we find him in verse 41. The famine ends. The rain has come and the famine has ended. This is just one more victory on the plate. Elijah said, go up and eat and drink the sound of rushing rain. Hmm. Wow. Verse 45, a little while the heavens grew back, the clouds, the wind, there was great rain. I mean, his rain is everywhere. And see, so you figure he's home celebrating praising God, maybe, you know, writing out some prayers, screaming at the top of his lungs. There's got to be some adrenaline pumping through. And then we come to chapter 19, and we see the exact opposite of what we anticipate. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword and then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And what we see is Elijah running for his life. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And there under that broom tree, he just prayed to die. How? How can a man be so on top of it all and suddenly fall to the very bottom? And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. All the work that I've done here, all the stands that I have made and these victories that I've been a part of, they mean nothing. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Hmm. Exhaustion will do that to you, friends. 
When's the last time you experienced an adrenaline tra- crash? After a game, you know, you're up, you're piped, you're, you're pumped, you're, you're moving around, you're walking in circles, and then boom, you're done. And he's discouraged. Even after all of that, here I am, the one running from my life. Discouragement will cut your legs out from underneath you, friends. Whatever it is, it's not enough. There's always more. And that's, that seems to be the way of a motivated person is, yes, we won the victory, but there's oh so much more. Oh, there's still more. I'm alone. Oh, my goodness. Now I, I, they're going to kill me? Did you just see what happened? Frustration sets in. And bad decisions are made when you're frustrated, friends. And now he's even praying for his own death. God, just take my life. I've done nothing. I'm no better than my father's. But I want you to notice that he was cared for by Jesus. Say, hey, this is the Old Testament. What do you mean, Jesus? Take a look. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a had his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord, which is a pre-incarnate, pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus, came down a second time and touched him. Rise and eat. And you know what he tells him? The journey is too great for you. You're going to need to eat something for this. <laughs> The person that says, God, that never calls us to do anything we're not able to do. <laughs> Let me read this again. Jesus just said, the journey is too great for you. You are not enough. You cannot accomplish this in your own strength. You need God. You need his power. You need his leading. You need his counsel. It's not enough. hmm <laughs> And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And here he is complaining. And there, came, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And I want you to notice, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you hiding in a cave for? Notice his complaint in verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the, for the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets. And I, even I alone, I am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He's given up. So discouraged, he's simply given up. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
Why are you hiding? What are you doing here? And you know what Elijah said? I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed all your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The only thing that he could see is not the very manifestation of God before him, but his circumstances. Friends, if all you do is look at your circumstances, the only good option is to quit. But if you will take a look at the Lord God, the strength he gives, the wisdom he will give you, the power, the understanding, the provision, then you can continue. But if you only look at your circumstances, you will walk away. Doesn't matter how much work. This is important. This what matters. This is what counts. This is the long game. This is the truth. You will walk away every time if you only look at the circumstances. And it's exactly what Elijah did. And you know what the Lord did? He didn't say, "Oh, poor Elijah. I know it's hard. He just gave him another job. Because it's not over. Walking away is not an option. This is, this is not the way of God to walk away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you're going to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of abel Mehelo, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Because like, this ain't about you. This is about me. If you've accomplished anything, it's because I've accomplished it through you. It's never time to give up, friends. It's never time to walk away. Discouragement, we, every one of us, I wonder if I took a poll, if you would even um, somehow raise your hand to say, yeah, this morning I'm discouraged. Boy, you haven't lived if you haven't experienced discouragement, my, my friends. It's there. It's there. And it'll take out your legs. It doesn't even have to. Boo, and you'll walk away, my friends. You cannot walk away. You cannot walk away. Yeah, we're just going to stop here and let that sink in. I'm going to have a meeting afterward, talk about the future of Family Bible Church, where we've been, where we're going. You've already seen a little bit of it tonight, but my friends, let's start it out with this. Are you in or are you not? Is this what God has called you to do? Then don't walk away. 